When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. The mess you have in your life, the things you are most ashamed of and embarrassed by that you think are the most insignificant, that disqualify you the most, are probably the very things that will qualify you to connect with another human being in your business or your personal life to change their life. And don't ever underestimate the ripple effect. So if you're listening to this or watching it, stop discounting yourself. Stop carrying these bags of your life of the things you're embarrassed or ashamed of or that you think are insignificant, that don't amount to anything. Those are the things, you, precious you, that could change another precious human being's life in a moment where they need you the most. And if you don't believe you're qualified, if you don't believe you can do it, you're gonna miss those moments in your life. And your entire existence here wasn't what it was supposed to be. Ed Milet, welcome to the show. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's great to be here, man. Dude, it's one I'm looking forward to the most. So good to have you. Your book is amazing, The Power of One More. Thank you. Love it, I'm not at all surprised. <laughs> now, for people that haven't read it, mm -hmm. For people that feel like they're wasting their time, they're not getting the results they want, what is one thing that they could be doing right now that would turn things around for them? Well, actually doing one more. So, you know, we, we always talk, you and I both, about self-confidence and the fact that building self-confidence is the process of keeping the promises you make to yourself. And if yeah. you lack self-confidence, you've got a relationship and reputation with yourself that's not very favorable. And so the baseline way to get self-confidence is you keep the promises you make to yourself. But in life, as you know, we don't get like our goal, we get probably 25% of our goals but we ultimately always get our standards. Long-term, you will get your standards. So the question becomes, what's the standard need to be then? And that standard needs to be, you keep the promises you make to yourself and one more. So if you're gonna do 30 minutes on the treadmill every day, you don't do 30 minutes. You do the 30 minutes, you do one more. You're gonna make 10 contacts in a day. You don't make 10 contacts in a day. You do the 10 contacts and you make one more. Now what happens is you start stacking up those one mores. You're gonna tell, tell Lisa you love her every day you don't just tell her that, you tell her one more time every single day. So you start stacking up mathematically all of these one mores. You've just done more so you're better, but you've changed the standard of your life. And you've built this superhuman type self-confidence that I not only do what I say I'm gonna do, I do one more than I'm saying I'm gonna do. And that's something almost nobody's willing to do, so I'm gonna get things almost nobody's gonna get. So that's one thing initially everybody can do. Yeah, so you are one of the sweetest guys on planet Earth, like in real life. Thank you. But also in real life, you're one of the most intense guys, which mm -hmm. I really respond to. So my journey as an entrepreneur was toughening up. I was super weak as a kid, mm -hmm. way whiny, like definitely did not push myself. And my parents loved them to death, but they didn't know how to push me either. Mm -hmm. And so I really, when I went to college, my mom assumed I was going to fail because I was so profoundly lazy. And so hearing you in the book talk about like pushing to the extreme, like you actually use the word extreme multiple times. I do. And that to, to expand your capabilities, you have to go into the extreme. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that, because right now I feel like that's an incredibly unpopular message. It is. And at the same time, it is true. <laughs> Thank you. And by the way, you talked about that on my show. So there's a part of the book where I talk about extremity expands capacity. Until you push something to the extreme, you don't really stretch your capacity to do it. And so for me, I already know, you know, at this point in my life, we know what we're, we're capable of at one point. So how do we change what we're capable of? And that's with extremity. That's with pushing it to the extreme. I have another chapter in the book where I call it do one more inconvenience. This is something that if we could train ourselves to do, our entire lives would change, which is that 
do the inconvenient or difficult thing in your day or in your life. Human nature is to avoid that. You talk, you call it being lazy, but it's just to avoid the inconvenient. Napoleon Hill says in Think and Grow Rich, which I love, he says, on the other type of temporary pain, you are introduced to your other self. And that other self produces another life. So th- what we have to change, I think, to some extent is our relationship with pain. I'm willing to pursue pain. I'm willing to pursue discomfort and do the inconvenient thing because on the other side of that, I have extended my capacity. I've literally changed who I am by getting on the other side of that. And so for me, I am always trying to find the inconvenient thing to do because it's not my nature either. I have to build all these habits like you do because left to my own devices, (laughs) man, I'm Netflix and pizza and Cheetos. I really would be. Like people say to me, man, you just seem so hardcore. People think this about you as well. No, actually I'm not. And so I've had to develop these mindsets, the strategies in the book, the, the ways I think, my habits. There's a whole chapter on how to build habits in the book because I'm not that way. I'm not overly disciplined. But I've learned to sort of change my relationship with pain, even in the gym, but even in a given day. You know, for me, I chase the thing that's inconvenient because I know on the other side of that is where all the stuff lies that I want. And so that's, you know, this old notion of, well, you know, do get out of your comfort zone. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about pursuing the inconvenient in a given day because that's the pathway to your bliss. That's the pathway to your happiness. Why is that? That's super counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the pathway to your bliss and your happiness because when we're doing things that aren't convenient on a very regular basis, there's a part of our spirit, I believe, in our soul that knows we were born to do something great, that knows we were born to grow. And when we begin to settle in our lives, it's like I had a conversation this morning with a friend of mine who's a parent. They're having some parenting issues and they're like, well, yeah, you grew up with an alcoholic dad. So that was child neglect. And my parents got divorced. That was child neglect. But I'm not neglecting my kids. This is just this morning, a really good friend of mine. I said, I think you should rethink that. And I said, there's an insidious form of neglecting your children. And she goes, well, what is it? And I said, it's not pursuing your potential and your dreams. Oof. That's a form of neglect of your children. You're installing the software in them that it's okay to settle. That it's because okay. they're watching you. Because they're watching you. And almost everything in life is caught, not taught. Mm. You don't teach lessons to people. They catch lessons from you. And so you're neglecting that child when you're not pursuing your potential, your bliss, or and or your dreams in your life, that's a form of neglect. So if it's neglecting a child when we do it, it's a form of self-neglect when we do it to ourselves. And so that's why it's counterintuitive not to do inconvenient things, but the reason it's a pathway to bliss and happiness is intuitively we know we're neglecting our spirit. We know we're neglecting our soul. We know we're neglecting our potential when we're not chasing it. And there's no way that we can simultaneously be blissful and at the same time know that we're somehow treating ourselves less than we're worthy of. I have a growing hypothesis, I'm super curious. So when I hear people like you talk about this stuff, I'm gonna say 99 times out of 100, there's been a physical transformation that they've gone through. Mm. Obviously your physique is insane. I know what it would take to achieve your physique. I don't have your physique not because I don't want it, because I don't wanna put that level of energy into it. Mm. I'm honest with myself about that. Mm But I have transformed my physique. Sure and so I know what that takes. And that, I didn't think a lot about it at the time, but that coincided with me getting better at being an entrepreneur because I realized, I saw what you were saying, that mm-hmm. as I did one more, as I pushed myself, as I did the things that were inconvenient, as I reached for the extreme, as I began to model myself after something other people said was crazy, right? Oh, that guy's too big. Oh, what are you doing? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. But I really got obsessed with it. Yes. And in doing that and going to the gym and pushing myself and being uncomfortable, I remember one time getting trapped under a weight and I was like, fuck, I don't, how am I gonna get out of this? <laughs> and by been there. being in those situations over and over and over, mm. you begin to realize, oh my God, like I actually change as a result of this, which 100%. then lets you believe that you can change your mind in the same way. Yes. How important do you think it is for people to? deal with the body, to, to push themselves to have a transformation there. Well, brother, I love you because we think so similarly. I, catalyst for change for me all my life has been in my body. And the reason for that is it's something that I actually have some measure of control over. I can't control the external result. I can't control every time how someone's going to respond to me, what the market's doing, whatever it might be. I can control, like you and I were talking off camera, what I'm putting in here, what I'm putting in this pie hole every day. I can control my amount of hydration. I can control the training in my life. And so for me, the catalyst for change, frankly, I was 221 pounds, big, and not fat. And, um, but I knew the book was coming out, and I was writing the book. And the catalyst for me to get in the most peak state I could do is to do something extreme. 
And so the extreme thing I did is I said, I'm going to weigh 180 pounds in 90 days. Whoa. And I, I got down to 177. And I did that through, you know, intermittent fasting, caloric restriction, changing my cardio. But it was an extreme. While you were working on the book? While I was. And the reason Jeez. I did it is I knew that if I could transform the internal parts of me, that the external results I was going to produce would be that much more extraordinary. And so I'm constantly. the chills. Yeah. Well, by the way, and you've done it as well. It's not like I'm going to do this every single, you know, month of my life or even every single year of my life. But to your point. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, I can't change things. It's like, I don't have the capital. I don't have the relationships. I don't have the this or the that. You do have a body and you can change that. There's things you could do to move it differently, treat it differently, potentially be more kind to it. One thing I'm doing, I'm 51 years old, man. I've never stretched in my life. I've never done <laughs> yoga in my life. These joints and tendons are sick of me beating them up. And so one of the reasons I got a little lighter, a little smaller, a little bit less taxing on it. And I'm giving myself the gift of great stretching you know, great yoga. I'm doing massage now. I'm doing things to be kinder to my body as well. And this may sound really hokey and cheesy. I find myself, this is a strange thing to word it, but I find myself being a little bit more gentle with myself I, when I'm so aggressive in the gym all the time. You know, there's a, there's a transfer of that even in my life where I'm so aggressive and intense on myself, which I love that part of me. But like I've had 51 years of that. And so now I'm like, you know what? I'm being a little more kind to my body, a little bit more gentle with it. And I find myself, you know, when I give a speech, usually I'll beat myself up. I could have done, you do the same thing. I should have done this. I should have done that. Leave a meeting, leave a podcast. Why didn't you say this? And I've just beat myself up all my life, just like I do in the gym. Recently, I find as I treat my body differently, I'm treating me differently. I'm like, that's okay, bro. You got the next one. That wasn't so bad. I'm sure you still made a difference. I've never said those words to myself in my life. Because I've always thought, if I let go of this beating myself up, that's part of my recipe, part of my formula. The truth is, I've probably been successful in spite of the way I've treated myself, not because of it. That's interesting. I don't know that I agree. And as you're describing that, I'm so intrigued how you're going to answer this question. Do you think that you can do that now because you have pushed yourself so far, so hard? Or do you wish that you had gone back and done things the way you're doing them now, back then? I wish I'd have done both. I wish I've had the extremity part of my life where I'm pushing myself to that point of past what I think I'm capable of. But then I also wish that I wasn't so hard on myself, man. Like I've spent a lot of years of my life, I've never really said this before, I've spent a lot of years of my life, I think, at my own expense, it makes me emotional to say it, I don't even know why, where that's coming from, at my own expense in the service of other people. And I think I had this delusion that I had to be almost suffering in order to produce bliss for other people. Mm. And some of that software was probably installed in me when I was young with my dad being an alcoholic when I was, was young. And so, no, brother, I know I could have pushed myself and been one intense beast and still been a little bit more kind to myself. Mm. There's a more beautiful and elegant way to get to the results that I wanted. I totally know what you're saying, that there's different seasons of your life and it's easy to say when you got a couple hundred mil in the bank and all that other stuff, like, you know what, I'm gonna stretch now. I'm gonna get a it's massage. A, it's a little bit different than that. So one, I think your insight about what you learned to do to be the peacemaker in your family, to read your dad, to figure out where he was and mm -hmm. that you were still so generous to him as well as to the rest of your family, mm -hmm. to take his hand, to, mm -hmm. And you talk about this in the book, so I highly encourage people to read it. Yeah. But you would take his hand and try to shift his mood, and yes. that really trained you to, to be somebody that could read people and help change their state, which mm -hmm. I think is incredible. But where the way that I see it is that you've earned, you've earned the right, and I, I'm gonna back up in mm -hmm. a second, but you've earned the right to get to that position because you know you can fall back on discipline, the habits, mm -hmm. all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Where Because what I'm thinking is, okay, if I'm, 24 mm -hmm. and I'm encountering Ed Milet for the first time mm -hmm. and I, I have this glimmer of like, ooh, maybe I can do something more with my life. Mm -hmm. That guy really does, and this is projecting because this mm -hmm. is where I was, but that guy probably really does need to go hard first. Yep. And he needs first to learn to be tough, to be a badass. Like for me to transform my physique, I had to imagine my wife being physically assaulted. It was the only way I could show yeah. up and put yeah. in the work. You got leverage on yourself. Exactly. Yep. And if somebody had been at that moment telling me, no, 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 you need to be kinder, gentler, it's like, on balance, you're right. And if mm -hmm. you're talking to me when I'm in my 50s, a hundred percent. But in the beginning, I wouldn't have been able to be so nuanced. Mm -hmm. And so I guess what I'm saying is, 
with what you've done and accomplished, you understand the nuance. You understand how important it is. Yep. To do all of that and to sacrifice yourself doesn't make sense. I think you're right. I, I think we agree. So I think you have to know yourself. What's your default place? My default position has been all my life to try to earn things. I, I conflated when I was young. The only time I got love from my dad is if I achieved something, mm -hmm. if I did something, if I, dad, I got an A, dad, I hit a home run, you know, dad, I won the spelling bee, you know. So I conflated achievement and pushing myself with love. So I know me. I know that part of me is sort of my default place to go. My default place is to do this. Mm -hmm. I think you have to know yourself. I think if your default is to not do those things, then yeah, giving yourself a break and being kinder and gentler is the absolute worst thing that you could do to yourself. In my case, man, it's been a lifetime. I was never a child. I was never a little boy. That five-year-old, I was literally not a child. My dad would, you know this from the book, five years old, I got two skills in life, man. One is I can communicate, the other one is I can be present and read people. The present and read people is really simple. I had three sisters and a mom. And when my dad would walk through that front door at five years old, this beautiful little boy that I was, I would have to look up at this man and quickly figure out, was he drunk or sober? What was his body language like? How was he walking? Was his tie tie? Was he slurring his words? And if it was drunk dad, sisters need to get upstairs, mom go take a shower. And then the man of the house, me at that time, would take over and like you said, grab my dad's hand and change his state. Dad, I hit a home run today. Dad, I got a 96. I'm you guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. And that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash impact and use code impact to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You will never be able to reach your full potential if you are riddled with stress and have a lot weighing on your mind. I can tell you from my own experiences with stress and negative thought loops, you have to find a way to work through whatever it is that's weighing on you if you're gonna have any hope of achieving your goals. Therapy can be an option for working through things and for an online therapy option that is super convenient and flexible, be sure to check out BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, everything is 100% online and getting started is quick and easy. A brief questionnaire matches you with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash impact theory. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you wanna have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. 
Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need and Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. My spelling test. And so I never afforded myself or was afforded to be a boy in my life, to ever really have a bunch of peace or bliss in that life. And my dad got sober and you know that, and he was my best friend. But that part of my life was taken from me. I never had it. So I don't have to be, I don't have to worry about Ed Milet's, you know, drive or ambition <laughs> or any of those other things. I, I got to worry about this dude hurting himself, you know, metaphorically, but actually theoretically too, in any possible way. And so you just got to know yourself. If your default is you'll cool it, then you know what? The worst thing you could do is give yourself a break. You're wired like me and you beat yourself to a pulp all the time. And you think you can do that. And at there's some point in your life, you'll fray. And there's just a part of your brain, man. There's just, there's, there's the neural parts of our brain are telling us, man, can you give me a little dopamine? Can you give me a little hit of something blissful? Can I celebrate this a little bit? Can I be a little bit more kind to myself? Because if you don't do that, eventually you've trained your brain that you don't want to do those things. Yeah, I think learning to love yourself is critical. I always tell people, in my back pocket, I have detachment at all times, mm -hmm. like a Buddhist-style detachment. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is how you feel about yourself when you're by yourself. Success, money, all those things ultimately are irrelevant. Mm -hmm. If you hate yourself and you're rich, you're still going to have a terrible life. You got it. So I think that's really important. There's an idea that was introduced to me by Jordan Peterson that blew me away. Me and in, in fact, the first time it got teased was Faraz Zahabi. Do you know him? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for people that don't know, he trained um, George St. Pierre. Yeah. He's an incredible MMA guy. And I had the very good fortune of meeting him, interviewing him, and actually rolling jujitsu with him. The one and only time I've ever done jujitsu was with him. Was with him. It was Come fucking on, insane. One really, really cool experience. And he was saying this idea that Jordan Peterson ended up putting really concrete words around, which is that he wanted to. Um, God, how do he put it? Like basically, I want to be able to choose kindness. Mm -hmm. And he said, to choose kindness, I have to be capable of great violence. Because if somebody comes and tries to push me around, I can be kind because I know I can defeat Love them. Love it. And so Jordan Peterson was like struggling with this idea of the meek shall inherit the earth, which is yeah. the man of faith you understand very well. Yeah. In fact, you say in the book, if I'm not mistaken. I do. And Jordan is like, I've always struggled with that idea because most of us interpret meek as weak. Hmm. And he said to, to the idea of the weak are gonna inherit the earth, he's like, nothing tells me that that is true. Hmm. And in fact, the, the weak get pushed around. Hmm. And he said, but he looked up a more ancient interpretation of the word meek, and it meant to be capable of extraordinary violence, but to keep your sword sheathed. Love it. And he said, that person really will inherit the earth because they can defend themselves and they're choosing kindness, compassion, whatever, but it, they actually have the choice between I could fight and win, mm -hmm. or I can defuse the situation because... I know that I'm capable that if it breaks down, it can go to that place. Brother, see, you're so brilliant. When you introduced me, you could have said a lot of different things about me. But the thing that you said was something along the lines of my kindness and my mm. genuineness. And the only reason that that stands out with me, with people, I don't know that I'm more kind or gentle than the average person. That only stands out because I do appear to be so strong, <laughs> right? I it's do true. have those features physically. And, and you are actually intense. Right, like and I'm actually a, a super intense dude. And so you're so right. It's the, by the way, the things I love about human beings are their contrasts, are their complexities. And so I always say all the time, I, I have, my best friends are like you. They have tremendous amounts of self-confidence with this umber, unbelievable abundance of humility. Mm -hmm. And they know how to toe the nuance of those two things. They somehow toe that line beautifully. We all have friends that are tremendously self-confident, have no humility. They're not curious. They're not growing. They're probably going to burn out. They're probably going to have to make an ego mistake that's going to hurt them. Why and we do you have think all... humility works so well? Well, humility keeps me curious. Humility keeps me connected. Lack of humility breaks a connection with another person. Lack of humility 
it causes you to not want to learn and grow. Like you identify yourself as a learner. Mm-hmm. Only somebody with a tremendous amount of humility who knows they don't know everything would want to be a learner. And so the very things that I think cause me to grow and expand are the very things that keep me humble. People ask me often, now that you're 51, you wrote this book, there's all these things in there that you know, what have you learned as you're 51? And truly what I've learned more than anything is what I don't know. That the, more, the older I get, I, know, I realize how little I do know. I can write a book that's 280 pages and pretty much everything I know is in that book. But the vast great, majority though. of things of life I don't know. And so I don't also want to have friends that just have humility that have no self-confidence because then you're dragging them through life all the time. They're the energy drainers of your life, that humble, kind friend of yours who never believes in themselves, never does anything. You're always trying to fill them up. I don't want to be around them all the time either. I want people that have both of those things because I think they're the most successful and blissful people at the same time. Yeah, there's a really cool quote about that. As the island of my knowledge grows, so does the shore of my ignorance. Oh, God, that's beautiful. Right? Yeah, that's it's really like, good. Yeah, that's really good. It, it is weird how you can really feel like you know virtually everything when you're young, which is what makes teenagers so brutal. Mm, right. And then as you get older, you're like, whoa, I've been kicked in the face so many times. I remember the first time somebody said I had humility, I was taken aback because to me, it didn't feel like humility. It felt like self-evidently recognizing what is true. Like Mm. I've just failed way more than I've succeeded. Me too. And so you're just like, God, I'm not trying to be humble. I am just so paranoid that I don't have something right because so often I thought I was right only to realize, whoa, like I was completely misjudging this Brother, situation. That's verbatim how I feel. And I gotta tell you, one of my favorite things to hear from a friend or even a business partner is, I was wrong. Mm. I was wrong. I've changed my mind. In fact, I wish there was more of that in politics, don't you? Hey, that was me. Jesus. I was wrong and I've changed my mind. Man, I, you'd endear yourself to me so quickly if you would do that. And so someone who never changes their mind, someone who never acknowledges that they're wrong about something, is someone that I don't really want to be around and spend a lot of time with, nor would I want in any leadership position in any of my businesses. And so it's a really big deal to be able to say that and to change one's mind is one of the most profound things you can do. I agree. Why do you think it's so hard for people? I think they think it's a weakness. I really do. And I think you have to have a tremendous amount of strength and confidence to actually say that I'm wrong. There's, it takes both. There's humility in saying I was wrong, but there's also confidence. I think there's a third thing that's the most terrifying, and it's why this continues to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Let me know what you think about this. Okay. You also have to be good. Yeah. Like, here's the, the yeah. scary thing. Yeah. If you want to succeed in life, you talk about this in the book. Mm-hmm. You talk about Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. That book also changed my life. I have the chills again. Mm -hmm. I remember where I was when I was reading that book and it hit me because he says like in the first whatever 40 pages, I've told you the answer. Like the whole reason I'm writing this book is on every single page of this book. And I was like, what has he said? Because I was like, where Mm -hmm. are we going with this? Mm -hmm. And the only thing he had said on every page was if you believe you can, you can. And Mm -hmm. if you think you can't, you can't. And I was like, oh my God. And so, yeah. But as you go to great lengths in the book to point out, your actions also have to line up. You're I, never going to be able to think your way to success. I love Think and Grow Rich. It's my favorite book other than my scriptures. But I got to be honest with you. You don't just think and get rich. You got to do stuff. The question then becomes, what do I need to think and what do I need to do simultaneously or in congruency mm-hmm. that produce the result? And that's why I did the things that I had the things in the book. Second chapter, as you know, and I know you're a huge Matrix fan. I like I, as I'm writing this chapter, this is Tom's chapter. I was like, this you is know. the greatest chapter I've ever written. I love this. <laughs> but one of the points that I make in the book is being able to slow things down and get into bullet time. But there's two things I love about the matrix. One, I think that's an absolute example of the reticular activating system in the brain. And so you do have to be good. But the question in life becomes, listen, I believe your one decision, one relationship, one meeting, one, one show, one thought, one new emotion, potentially away from changing your entire life. Mm. I've proven this in my life, so have you. And the question then becomes, how do you find them? And this RAS is super powerful in our brains because it's the mechanism that filters the entire world to us. It literally reveals to us our reality, just like you just said. It reveals our reality. I just bought a Tesla, I drove it here today. I like what Musk is doing, I'm like, I'm gonna get one of these Teslas. Man, every freaking where I go, I see Teslas now. Mm. Red one, babe, hey, there's a white one, there's a plaid, three lanes over, other side of the freeway, babe. Black Tesla just drove by. She's like, how in the world do you know this? Because it's become important to me. And it's now in my filter. It's now a part of my RAS. That's why when you're in a loud room, all the auditory sounds, someone doesn't even say it loud. Tom, you can hear your own name in a room because it's become important to you. 
See, the question in life is, can you make your goals, your ambitions, the emotions you want, the thoughts, the relationships you need to become your Teslas? And if they become your Teslas, things slow down. The other part of the matrix I love, I'll come up for air, is Neo is the one. He's the one. And when my wife and I were little, I literally live on the beach now, brother, that we used to walk on. We were, in high school, we were dating, and we'd walk on this beach and go, babe, I'm going to get you one of these beach houses. We're going to get one of these beach houses. He goes, you are? I go, yep. And I'd have no idea how. And I go home, I go, dad, who are these freaking people? Who lives there? He's like, I don't know who they are, but they don't work with me, you know. And I figured something out. When you find a family or a person that's happy and successful, or either one, somewhere back in their lineage, they weren't. Mm -hmm. That family wasn't. And then the one shows up. The one. And that one changes that family forever. It changes the way they live, the way the world treats them, the way they think. They're the Neo. They're the one in their family. And in my family, I'm the one. I'm the one. I didn't like it. I didn't hope for it. I fought for it. I fought for it. I did the things in this book to become the one in my family. And if you're listening to this or watching it, why don't you consider the fact that potentially maybe you're the one? And the fact that you don't think you are or that you're not qualified to be the one or don't have the background or the skills or the confidence probably makes you the one because that was me. Now, what, what does the one do? What do they introduce to the family that changes it so profoundly? I think they introduce a different way of thinking, Tom. I think they introduce a belief system that the world doesn't dictate the terms to our family anymore. We're going to dictate the terms to the world and that we have some measure of control over the results of our lives. I think most people go through their lives thinking they have no measure of control. And I had a huge breakthrough, brother, two weeks ago after I wrote the book. And as you know, as I I wrote the book, when my dad died, I thought I need to write this book because my dad taught me all these profound lessons of one more and I'm the next to go. I don't know if it's this week or 60 years from now, but I'm the next to go. And I woke up about three o'clock in the morning, 3.15 exactly, and I woke up, Christian, I said, babe, wake up. And I was in tears. This was just two weeks ago. I said, babe, someone helped daddy. I'm 51, bro. My dad was sober for 35 years. This never occurred to me. She goes, what? I said, someone helped my dad. She goes, what do you mean? Someone helped my dad in his darkest moment of his life get sober. In some coffee shop or quiet place when my dad was down on his knees, losing his family, some precious human being helped my dad. Mm. I don't know who they are. They changed our entire family. Max and Bella's lives are changed because this person that we don't know. Millions of people I've reached because this person helped my dad. She goes, that's amazing. I said, here's what's more amazing. What qualified them to help my dad? Mm. Their shame, their mess that they were also a drug addict and alcoholic. This precious soul, the things they're the most ashamed of, that they think disqualified them the most in life, is the very thing that qualified them to help my dad in the most important moment of his life, is where their giftedness, their experience, their shame, their setbacks, is what qualified them to change my life and my dad's life in this dark space. I've been in personal development, my dad's been sober forever, it never occurred to me The mess you have in your life, the things you are most ashamed of and embarrassed by that you think are the most insignificant, that disqualify you the most, are probably the very things that will qualify you to connect with another human being in your business or your personal life to change their life. And don't ever underestimate the ripple effect. They were just helping some man get sober in some dark space in his life, never knowing the one was his son. Never knowing that this whole existence of my family was changed, not just by me being the one, not just by my dad's decision, but by a completely flawed person. Mm. Remember, think about this person. At some point, maybe they were stealing from their family, driving drunk, did things they're completely ashamed of in those states. That was the experience that qualified them to change my dad's life. So if you're listening to this or watching it, stop discounting yourself. Stop carrying these bags of your life of the things you're embarrassed or ashamed of or that you think are insignificant, that don't amount to anything. Those are the things, you, precious you, that could change another precious human being's life in a moment where they need you the most. And if you don't believe you're qualified, if you don't believe you can do it, you're going to miss those moments in your life. And your entire existence here wasn't what it was supposed to be.
That's really powerful. Isn't that crazy? That is really crazy. Yeah. Now, how do you, so one, I hope that people actually listen to you because people do discount themselves. They do Huge. things or have things happen to them that they're not proud of that they think define who they are and they yep. never allow themselves yeah. to bring something beautiful to the world again, which is an absolute tragedy. Yep. So if the one is bringing this new way of thinking, mm -hmm. if the person that thinks they are the most disqualified is able to channel that and make somebody's life better, how do they turn that into like something concrete that they can articulate? How do they turn it into a habit? Like what is that process of going from, you know, Neo waking up and realizing that he can do something to actually dodging bullets? I think one of the things is the way that we approach time. This is something that almost no one talks about anymore. So I feel like you may be behind. You may actually be behind your destiny right now. Like maybe you're not on pace. In fact, I think most people watching this, listening will say, I am behind on achieving my destiny. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I feel like it's slipping. I feel like I'm behind. So you better figure out time differently. And you can bend and manipulate time to your advantage. The most stupid, antiquated, ridiculous concept on planet Earth today very, very well may be that a day is 24 hours. <laughs> it's so stupid. It's the dumbest thing ever. 24-hour days were contrived when there were no cars. There was no electricity. If I wanted to get you a message, I had to write something down if I could, send it on a horseback, hope you get it. That's insane. Never mind the internet. So what used to take hours, days, weeks, months, years to do can be done now in a millisecond in the internet or on our smartphones. Yet we measure the time the same way that guy did? That's bananas. That is so stupid. Yet everybody does it. And so I, about 25 years ago, went, I'm not the most talented. I'm not the smartest. And I'm really not. And you've had guests on your show with IQs maybe 100 points higher than mine. This is the truth. I know a couple of them. I had them on my show. How in the world? I don't come from, you know a whole track record of success, right? I don't have the perfect upbringing. How in the world am I gonna win? I gotta do things other people aren't willing to do, which I'm doing, that's the one mores, and I gotta fix the way I look at time. What would I need to believe about time? What would I need to believe? What would the question be? And so my days now are from 6 a.m. to noon. That's a day, it's six hours. And in that day, some days you just chill. But in that day, I'm gonna get the amount of productivity, faith, working out, fitness, money, business, you name it, in that day. We've all had a morning where we go, I got more done this morning than I have in weeks. Mm. Well, why can't you do that every morning? So I measure time, I've compressed and condensed time, I've bent it. My day is 6 a.m. to noon, and I'm not crazy. You're crazy for thinking it takes 24 hours, just like some dude in a cave did 300 years ago. That's bananas that you still think that way, and it's unfair that people have taught you this. My second day starts at noon and goes till 6 p.m. That's day two. But what the cool thing is at the end of day one, this clock goes off about noon every day, bro, and goes, what did I just get done? What didn't I do? What do I need to be accountable for? What do I need to double my efforts? Just like you do at the end of most days, right? And then the next day is 6 p.m. to midnight. And some of those are just fun days. Sundays I chill, right? But some days they're really super productive. What I've done now is I have changed and manipulated time. I now get 21 days a week. Stack that up over a month, I'm going to kick your butt. Mm. Stack it up over a year, you're toast. Stack it up over five years, my entire life is different than it would have been otherwise. And if you do this for about 90 of your traditional days that you think are, you will come back to me and go, that profoundly impacted my life. And here's the other thing that happens. The world responds to you differently when you value your time like that. Mm. What is precious is valuable. That's why a diamond or this watch is way more expensive than the piece of paper that's written down there because it's more scarce. When your time, when you interact with the world is slightly more scarce, they respond to you as if you're more valuable. So you get more accountability, more productivity, more fun, more joy, and the world flips its response to you. All of a sudden you become more valuable and precious to people when your time is different. And you'll get thousands more days in your life and live a much more blissful and happy life than the person who only gets 24 hours. It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. 
Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. If you strive to perform your best in life, bringing your energy and abilities into everything you do, then it only makes sense that you would want to be out on the road with that same power, agility, and performance that everyone expects from you. And there's no better option than the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable SUV yet, the third-generation Range Rover Sport. You guys know I love staying on the cutting edge with technology, and the Range Rover Sport's cabin features advanced technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. One way I make sure my business is moving in the right direction is to ensure we are constantly becoming more efficient. Because in my experience, inefficiencies will eat away your profits and leave you with a dying business. But with the right technology, your business can get the insights it needs to become efficient and ultimately unstoppable. And that is why I recommend you check out NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all of it into one platform and one source of truth. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors that are massively inefficient. Guys, inflation is no joke. So check out NetSuite and see how you can cut costs and boost performance at the same time, like the 37,000 companies that have already made the switch. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Do not wait. Head right now to netsuite.com slash theory. Again, that's netsuite.com slash theory. Get the information you need. Head to netsuite.com slash theory. Yeah, so this is a concept that I really hope people take seriously. Mm -hmm. So I'm often asked like how frequently I evaluate my progress. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, "Ah, it's probably about every three hours. And I think people are surprised to hear that it's not daily, it's not weekly, certainly Mm -hmm. not monthly or yearly. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm constantly, okay, was I productive in this period of time? Yes. In in the book, you reference it, if I remember correctly, is like squeezing the air out of all those gaps of where most people are like, okay, if if I get this done in my day, then I'm fine. And if you took that and made your day those six hours, suddenly Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I need to be really efficient. What if you took that day, Tom, and then combined it with the power of doing one more of that mindset and then chasing inconvenient things on top of it in those days? And on top of that, sprinkled a little self-love to make sure that you don't burn out little reticular activating system where we're doing repeated visualizations, where we're finding the things in those days that we need to be able to find. Uh-oh, you may just change your life. You know, I know exactly what happens. And you liken this to Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. And walk people through, like, so what Tim Grover has said about, like, his work ethic and extra practices and stuff. Because it's like, I don't know how many times the successful people have to say the same things yeah. for people to get like, oh, okay, cool, I get where this is going. You know, one really simple thing is this. You need to get in a bigger hurry. If I could just distill it down to something simple, you need to get in a bigger hurry. You're too casual, you're too slow. You walk too slow, you talk too slow, you think in terms of so- too much time. And if you would just speed up the pace, man, like you know this, when you're around someone like Kobe or Grover or you or anyone that kind of vibrates at a frequency that feels like success energy, mm. it's faster. They don't have to talk faster. Many of our most favorite people talk much slower than you and I do, but they're just in a little bit of a bigger hurry. I'll give you a Kobe thing that's not in the book, though, that just for me and you and everyone gets to listen. Kobe was scheduled to do my show six days after he passed. Oh, God. And deeper than that, I was with Kobe the week before he passed away. Mm. Let me tell you the story about this because I think it's pretty profound about the one Moors. Been a volleyball tournament. Our daughters played volleyball together. And um, it's if you have a kid who plays volleyball, you all are going, yep, I get what that is. These are long days and noisy days. So this thing starts at about 8 a.m. All the dads are there. The last match was 10 p.m. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, dude. And I'm the last dad in there except this other guy in a black sweatsuit with white stripes on it. 
and he's about 6'6", six, six, and it's Kobe. And we've been around each other many times at these tournaments. We're the last of the two dads left. And so the tournament ends. His match was on a different end of the court than my daughter's was. Something happened. I have no idea why I did this, brother. I watched him this day. And uh, I was on the other end, and I watched him. He had his baby in his left arm, his little one. And he was rubbing the back of his daughter that was playing. And literally, I went, I don't hug Bella enough. Look how affectionate he is. It just stood out to me. And because it stood out to me, his outward affection, I watched him, bro. And I watched Kobe walk out of the gym that day with this baby and his arm around his other one. And I watched him walk out. And he obviously stood out because he was so tall. And I can picture him right now, Tom, walking out of that door for the last time. Six days later, he died. And I wonder, see, if you want to know the power of one more, it's when I take it from you and you can't have it anymore. I wonder if someone would have whispered, Kobe, when he got in the car that day, six more days. How would that week maybe have been different for him? What would he have said? Who would he have loved? Who would he have reached out to? What would have mattered to him? How about the Saturday before? Kobe, one more day. He's getting on that helicopter. Kobe, one more hour. See, it hits us when I say that. And there's a whisper happening that you can't hear. Tom, eight more years. 18 more, whatever it is, there's a whisper. We forget, we're gonna die. Napoleon Hill says, begin with the end in mind. Mm. What if you did that with your life? What if you began with the end of your life in mind and worked it backwards? Bro, my favorite thing in the world was to golf with my dad. Mm. My favorite thing, man. We both no good at golf. Pose my hero in a golf cart with me for five hours a foot away and the conversations. Watch my dad walk a car. Do you know what I would do, bro, for one more round of golf with my dad? One more time. Hey, dad, good putt. Yeah, that was a good one, wasn't it, Eddie? Put his arm on me, high five. You know what I would do for that? What would you, how would you act if you started to think about all the elements of your life like Kobe's last six days, Kobe's one more day, Kobe's one more hour, me getting that back with my dad. What if you started to look at the relationships you have in your life like it was the last time you had the conversation with him, the last time you get to hold Lisa's hand and mm, Jesus, look in her eyes, right? right? But how much more precious does she become? Mm. Maybe it's the last podcast, the last interview. How much more precious would it be? How much more engaged could we, as engaged as we are, that next meeting, that conversation with is it Gerson over here, right? The conversation with him, man. See, when we begin to distill downs and we realize, yeah, there's a power to one more because they're not promised how many we have. And so that day with Kobe, just it just burned it into my soul, man, when I watched him. And then to see six days later, he was gone. That time with his family was so precious. And so I would just challenge everybody, if you want to know the power of one more, it's when I take it from you. And there's a power and there's a blessing that you get one more in your life. You're going to get another chance to talk to Lisa. You're going to get another great dinner with her. You're going to get another show. Those listeners have another day to change their life. They have another opportunity to do one more. They have another opportunity to make their family proud of them. They still have more time. They don't just have one more day probably to be the one in their family. Life is beautiful. It's precious. And sometimes we only have an appreciation for it in its absence. Sometimes we only have an appreciation for the power of the one mores or the people in our lives when we imagine their absence. And so I would just ask everybody to consider that. The thing about work is that um, I think you should enjoy your work. I think there's a part of that. But I think it's this, I agree aggressively with that. Yeah, I think it's this notion that everything is separate. What do you mean? Well, like I think people ask me all the time about, well, you know, I feel like, man, if I'm crushing it at work, that uh, I'm not gonna be as good a dad, or if I'm really a great dad, my body's gonna suffer. And there's this limited scarcity idea that somehow that there's a finite amount of it to have. I just don't buy into that at all. In fact, I've found in my life that when I'm crushing it at work, man, I'm a lot better in the gym. Mm. When I'm crushing it in the gym or work, I'm a better dad. I come home pumped, I come home engaged, I come home excited. I'm not saying there's not fatigue, but when I'm not crushing it at work, what am I not bringing to bear in my family in terms of energy, ideas, 
my vibrational frequency, my ability to give out information and love. I'm cheating my family when I'm not working. And conversely, I think I rob my work when I'm not engaged with my family. People ask me, well, what is changing you? I was a little bit more of an angry, intense dude before I had kids. And for me, in my case, having children caused me to pause in the way I speak to people. Sometimes I'm ashamed when I was younger of ways I spoke to people had someone talked to my son or daughter the way that I used to talk to people. So me crushing it as a dad has made me a better businessman. Me crushing it as a business has certainly, driving out here, my, my daughter said to me, driving out, she goes, Daddy, I'm taking the real estate exam today. She's 18, she's going to college. I'm taking the real estate exam today and the life insurance exam on Monday. And I'm thinking that's wonderful. Plus she's got finals for school, right? Jesus. But what impressed me about that was that, hey, th that means my work has transferred over into me as a father. So these things are interconnected in life. When you decide not to work and you think that's gonna make you better at home or better in other areas of your life, you're absolutely wrong. You're a whole person and growing the wholeness of you matters. And that's why there's such value in work. Work meaning, work is not always just labor. Work is expansion of oneself. And that's why you're robbing yourself. Yeah, I also think there's something to just taking a cynical eye to the world and feeling like, oh, if I'm really giving my everything, then somebody is taking advantage of me. My thing is like, if I were working for somebody else, mm -hmm. when, in fact, when I did work for somebody else in my mm -hmm. early 20s, I was completely cynical. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm being taken advantage of, mm -hmm. and like, this is terrible, I'm not getting paid what I'm owed. Mm -hmm. And then I discovered work ethic and how far I could push myself, and I discovered one immutable truth. I could get so good that people would be terrified to lose me. There you go. And in fact, Kobe has a quote that's even better, which is, booze don't block dunks. You can get so good people can't stop you. Mm -hmm. The greatest players in the world, in fact, scouts were paid an obscene amount of money to go around the entire globe to find people that they could pay millions of dollars to to stop Kobe Bryant from scoring a basket during a game. And despite the best athletes on planet Earth getting paid millions of dollars to stop him, he once scored 81 points in a single game. Yeah, that's, And so my thing is, like, who are you pushing back on? You can get so good at something people can't stop you. I tell my kids all the time, I say greatness rises. Greatness is eventually found. I have a, I won't say who it is, but I have a relative that's like, hey, the coach is discriminating against me, man. He's got, he really favors these other guys. Mm. And I said to him the other day, I go, no, he's not. <laughs> he's not. Greatness rises. He wants to win basketball games, or he wants to win baseball games, or he wants to win this. The fact of the matter is, get great at something. There's such a, there's such a wonderful feeling of being great at what one does. Yes. That if, I, I, what a terrible way it would be to get through this earth have your whole journey through this earth and never get great. Never get great at what you're capable of being great at. And I would encourage everybody to pursue that. That's why they listen to your show, watch your show. It's why they listen to mine. It's why they read our books. Because this pursuit of greatness. We, do, we have started to create a culture that I think has an ill-gotten eye towards success, towards progress. And maybe some of that's earned. You know, maybe some of the examples in the world about what financial success looks like hasn't been the most elegant or beautiful examples of it. But the fact of the matter is that my experience with successful people, whether that's financial or not, uh, I believe successful people in their work are happier people, mm -hmm. just overall. Whether that's a, my sister who's a school, people ask me all the time, who's one of the most successful people you know? My sister. Because I think success is that when your external life matches your vision for it, whatever mm -hmm. that is, you have a vision for your life and you produce it. My sister is blind. Right, she was born a diabetic, she's right? She's born a diabetic, you're so, you're so connected. And she's a school teacher, Christian school teacher. She's amazing at it, why? She's in the service of other people, that's the blueprint for her life, and she's using her giftedness in the service of these people. She's kind, she's a great teacher, she's patient. She's 4'11", she's the same height as the students. Wow. See, her giftedness is just perfect for what she does. She's so successful. How does so she successful. deal with, because I have to imagine, students use the blindness to mm -hmm. mess around or whatever. She knows they're doing it. Mm -hmm. That could be, it would be very easy to feel victimized. Mm -hmm. How does she deal with that? Well, and because, and by the way, my sister can see some things. She, can, she just can't drive, she can't see she, 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 she shadows and whatnot too. Um, my sister though, and, and here's the other thing. Imagine being able, that you used to be able to see mm -hmm. and you've lost it. I think it's one thing to be born blind. It's another thing that you had sight. I mean, if so an average person it. just, you've been able to see and you close your eyes even for 10 minutes and be able to imagine not able to see. It's a really traumatic experience. What my sister does, it's really interesting. She uses humor really, really well. Mm. So she takes it from you before you can give it to her. 
And when someone is self-deprecating, self-deprecation is a great form to diffuse hate, Mm. to diffuse pain. And so she's learned to really use humor about it and almost poke fun at herself to where the students don't do that. And you do it very well, by the way. You're self-deprecating all the time. It'd be easy for you to kind of, you know, your homes, your success, your show, your wealth, your intellect is extremely high. You are a very self-deprecating dude so that it allows you to navigate and operate without the resistance that you would get if you didn't have it. Mm. And so a lot of you that are receiving that, you know, self-deprecation is something to look into. Just poke fun at yourself. Take yourself lightly. Don't take yourself too seriously. That's how I avoided getting beaten up as a kid. I believe it. Yeah. I believe that it. That was, humor was my best defense. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So, all right. So you can get so good at something, you can push yourself. Mm-hmm. You want your outside life to match the internal vision. Mm-hmm. I want to, in the book, you go into like how people can build these habits so that they can get that life. Mm-hmm. There are people watching right now. They have the dream. But they don't know how to get that life. Like, what what are the secret things that you do to actually build the skill set you need to achieve? The skill set stuff is habitual. So there's a bunch of things I talk about in the book. But I think one thing that I just really believe that when you have a worth level or a confidence level that you can achieve something, you're far more resilient than when you don't have that. There's all these tools on confidence that everybody teaches, right? But I had a really profound experience when I was young that changed my life. And, and, and it, I've never linked my ability to build a habit or my confidence to my skill. Just stay with me, even though I built great skills. I won a contest in Hawaii. I'm 28. I'm running down the beach in Maui. Running the other way, and that's why you get rewarded for getting up before the sun. Running the other way is this bald, kind of can see he's got a hairy back. He's sweating. He's running towards me. And he's wearing a Sony Walkman. I'm wearing one, too. That's how long ago it was. So we're listening to cassette tapes while we're running, <laughs> right? And so he runs by me, and it's Dr. Wayne Dyer. Whoa. Who's a hero of mine. And I said, Dr. Dyer, you changed my life. And he turns around, he has a deep voice like I do. He goes, well, I highly doubt that. <laughs> he goes, I'm sure you changed your life, but what did I do to help you? And he walks towards me, and we sit down on this beach together. Whoa. And for 90 minutes, I watch the sun come up with Wayne Dyer. And he gets to know me, and he's pouring into me. And at the end, he goes, Ed, you're going to change the world. How old are you at this point? 28. Wow. He probably said this to some other people, right? And he goes, I just think you're brilliant. The way you can articulate your thoughts, your viewpoint on personal development and changing oneself, your experience with your dad, you're going to change the world. And he goes, and that's not why. And he goes, it'll be very dangerous for you to attach yourself to your abilities the rest of your life. Whoa. And I said, I don't understand. Like, if I can't close or persuade, I can't close a sale. If I, he goes, no, no, I want you to have all those things. But if you would attach your identity or worth to the external, it's fleeting. That's why so many pro athletes, when their career's over, they don't know who they are. And I said, well, then what do I do? And he goes, what's beautiful about you, Ed, is your intentions. You have beautiful intent. And I knew that about myself, was my intentions. What I didn't know is he was writing a book at the time called The Power of Intentions. Mm. And he goes, would you please, please, because you, you have the talents, would you please attach your confidence and your worth and your identity to your intention? When you walk into a stressful environment, remind yourself that you intend to serve, you intend to give, because you may lack the ability sometimes, Ed. You may lack the answer sometimes, but you'll never lack the intent. And that intent will put you in a state where you can find the answers. Brother, all my life, most of my confidence has come from driving here today. I just intend to help people. I intend to make a difference. I don't like that, oh, I don't need to be here, I'm rich already, forget all that stuff. My intentions are to help people, forgetting my current status one way or the other. And so I would recommend everybody to take a real look inside you. What are your intentions? Your intentions to make a difference, your intentions to love people, your intentions to serve people, is your intent to serve your family, is your intent to make a difference? If that's the foundation for your worth and your self-confidence, you'll never have to chase it again. If it's something aside from you, a skill I got to get, a talent I got to get, I got this, you'll be chasing it all of your life. Now, having said that, I have a chapter on habits and how to develop them and how to create a trigger and how to create the, the, the behavior and then have a reward when you do it. So habits are created by triggers, then there's the behavior, then there's the reward, and I talk about how to build those habits. But all of that is, is really not very productive if you don't have some internal knowing that you deserve to be successful, that there's a worth to you, that a confidence that exudes from you. And I don't think that's where my sister and I are that dissimilar. Externally, we're very different people, right? Different careers, different paths. But I think my sister, maybe it's even unconscious, doesn't even do it intentionally, no pun intended, 
she knows she intends to serve those precious children every mm. single day. So she walks in there with a confidence that's bigger than her lack of vision, her lack of being able to see. And I think these students sense this beautiful intent on this woman. And because she's self-deprecating, she has this overwhelming intent to serve. There's not a lot of backlash or poking fun at her. And I, in my life, I haven't had a lot of that, to be honest with you. I've had far less resistance from other people because I carry my intent with me everywhere I go. Talk to me about state change. So you mentioned like you going into a stressful event, remind mm -hmm. yourself that you're there to serve, and it, it does switch something pretty profoundly. Mm -hmm. What is a state change? How do you do it? Why does it matter? State change is the definition of everything that I do. So what I do when I'm in a good state, when I'm in that moving state, whether I'm training and working out or I've crushed a podcast or I've crushed a show, I create a physical anchor. So I link the emotional state to the anchor. Emotional state to the anchor. It could be you could tug on your shirt, you could pull on your right ear, you can snap your, you've noticed probably 20 times through this interview I snapped my fingers. I associate you with the finger snap more than you could ever possibly okay. imagine. And so for me, that's the juice. And so when you get to a peak state, link it to something physical. The more repetitive it is and the higher the emotional state. That's why, for example, you have them in reverse. If you've ever walked into a room where something bad's happened or hear a song or something, it immediately creates a trigger for you because the emotional experience was so high. Mm -hmm. First time you did the naughty, naughty thing, if there was a song <laughs> playing and that song comes back on, you go right back to that place, don't you? So there's an emotional heightened state and then something physical that happens. And so in my case, when it's going really good and I'm pumped and everything's great, I link it, I link it, I link it, I link it. And so now, then you can reverse it back where that trigger creates that state. This is really not that complicated. I go into it in the book. It's amazing to me that we all have all these unconscious triggers in our life, whether it is a song or a room or a person or a memory or a whatever, and yet we don't ever take control of them. We know they happen because they happen to us all the time. So all I've done in my life is decide, okay, if that's the case, I'm gonna create a few that serve me. And by the way, the ones that, you can already hear my energy just went up. The reason it serves me is it can override the negative state. It's my pathway out of the dark space. It's my pathway out of fatigue. It's my pathway out of confusion. It's my pathway out of not knowing the answer to something. Mm -hmm. I all of a sudden become a heck of a lot more resilient when I'm in that state. And I've got like four or five of them. I just did another one of them, right? But I've got four or five physical things I do that I've linked. If you're an athlete, when you make a big putt, link it. You make a big putt, link it. You make a big putt, link it. When you're in meditation, even in meditation, when you've emptied your mind, if you can just create a trigger that can take you back there, then you don't need to be legs crossed, quiet, mm, every time to feel that feeling. It's one of the things not talked about in meditation because we're supposed to empty our mind. When we're done and the mind is no longer empty, just create a physical trigger. Just You ever have someone in your life, just when they touch you, you feel, Lisa touches you, you feel different. Lisa is a trigger for you. No doubt. Of comfort, of confidence, of whatever, ecstasy, whatever it is. So these things are around us all the time. How about we start to take control of them? How about we start to be, no pun intended, intentional about them? So heightened state, physical trigger. Heightened state, physical trigger. Do it repeatedly, and you're gonna find yourself a different person when you need to change your state. I wanna repeat that. You're gonna find yourself a different person when you need to change your state. That's the, the thing about state change for me is I don't feel like the same person. Like if I get into a negative space, mm -hmm. I feel weak and unsettled, and then I can literally, I will, one of my sort of internal triggers that I use is the phrase, remember who you are. There you go. And just saying that to myself, I'm like, that's right, remember who you are. There was this incredible 90s cartoon, Batman cartoon, and there's this episode, I love this, I think about it all the time, where Bruce Wayne gets put in like an internment camp basically, and he can't get out, and then he, he has amnesia. Mm -hmm. And then one moment, I forget what happens, but he remembers that he's Batman. Nothing changes. He just remembers that he's Batman and all of a sudden he can escape. And I was like, God, you have to, that's a state change. That's a state change. Just remembering who I am. Who you really are. And here's why that's important. Let me throw something at you that I think you'll agree with. That's who you truly are. But all of us are different people in different times, in different mm -hmm. circumstances. And so it's a matter of pulling, this sounds hokey, but it's about pulling the most powerful, yes. resourceful version of you out. I'm a very different person. There's, there's like 30 Ed Milets. There's the Ed Milet when I'm really down and I wake up in the morning and I've got anxiety first thing I wake up. There's the Ed Milet when I'm with my kids. There's the Ed Milet when I'm on a stage. There's the Ed Milet when I'm doing this. There's the guy driving in the car. You all have these different versions of you and you know that you do. So the question is, when the one shows up who doesn't serve you, can you bring out the one that you really are? 
And so it's this notion that this is who I am. Really? You're the same person all the time? You have the same emotions all the time? The same thoughts all the time? The same energy all the time? Of course you don't. There's many versions of you. Someone like Kobe Bryant, when the world was melting and he's going to Colorado in his trial and he's, he somehow could find a way to get on that court on a Wednesday night in the middle of all that turmoil and the Black Mamba shows up. Mm. And all the people we admire in our lives, if you really think about it, when all the pressure's on, they find a way to step forward with the best possible version of who they are. And that's what separates them. It's not that they don't have the weaker versions, the lesser versions. It's that they can pull the right one forward when they need them because they've either created the tools. Athletes do it very naturally. Tom Brady, let's effing go! Why does he say this out loud? It's like ridiculous, right? Peyton Manning, Omaha! These are triggers. They might be inaudible, but it's also a trigger that creates a state where he's scanning the defense and now he's more resourceful as RES kicks in and he's finding the hole, the linebacker's coming this way, that's where the open receiver's gonna be in the slot. This is what they're great at doing. I just had a fighter of mine this last weekend getting one of the fights and I have a chapter in the book called Equanimity, which is calmness under duress. It's a really under-discussed topic in life. And usually when he's in these fights where things start to really happen and he's getting hit, things speed up for him and he starts going into the slugfest mode and ultimately loses. We've talked about equanimity, that the best version of him, so he found his trigger, he stepped back, he went into matrix time, things slowed down, and then he ended up kicking a dude in the head with one of the greatest knockouts in the history of the UFC this weekend in the same conditions that he's lost other fights in. So he pulled the best calm equanimity version of him forward under duress as opposed to the scattered, frailed one. And that's how it is in business, in life, in parenting, in our day-to-day existence. The power of one more. That's right, brother. Where can people follow you? What's the best way? Oh, I don't know. Social media. Go to Instagram, Ed Milet's, E-D-M-Y-L-E-T-T. And, um, you know, anywhere on social, and you get the power of one more anywhere. Got a website called thepowerofonemore.com. A lot of, like, extra tools and resources that will enhance the, the book a little bit for you as well. So, yeah. I love it. Boys and girls, I've read the book. It's amazing. Everything I've ever seen Ed do is absolutely incredible. This man gives me the chills constantly off camera. He's as awesome as you want him to be. Everything he teaches is everything I needed to learn. I have a feeling it will impact all of you. I highly encourage you to get the book. And speaking of things that I highly encourage you to do, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Peace.